Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 84 of Impact Boom. My name is Rachel Stevens. I'm a contributing editor at Impact Boom, and I'm passionate about meeting and working with others who share our mutual drive for creating positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Dave Harkins, a 29-year-old designer from the Netherlands. He lives and works in a place called Helmond. Although he's a trained industrial designer, he also loves to build machinery and videos. His goal is simple. Try to make the world better by making things. Whether it's an inspirational video, machines to recycle plastic, or a phone concept, it doesn't really matter. As long as it might push the world in a better direction, he's interested. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Dave's project, Precious Plastics, and what he's learned along the way. We'll look at the internet as a tool for creating positive impact. And we'll talk about design education and what Dave believes can be done to get students effectively tackling social and environmental issues. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what's led you down the path of social entrepreneurship? All right. So I studied at the Design Academy in Eindhoven. So it's a school about design. I don't know. I honestly never really thought of doing something socially or social entrepreneurship. But I guess at that school, I started thinking about, you know, you design stuff, so you make things, but what makes sense to make? And I think the social element made more sense to me. So not designing like super fancy products, but more stuff that might tackle problems. Awesome. For our listeners who maybe don't know about the work you're doing, could you tell us a bit more about what Precious Plastics is? Yeah, so precious plastic is a set of machines to recycle plastic. So you can shred the plastic, melt it, and create something new. And I guess the the interesting part about it is that we share all the blueprints open source online for free. So everyone can download them and watch instruction videos of how to build the machine so they can really build it themselves locally and start to clean up the plastic in their environment. Because the plastic problem is like all over the world, so you need people all over the world to work on it. Yeah, of course. It's one thing, of course, having an idea, but it's another thing actually being able to commit to it. This all became as a graduation project. So how and what made you decide to continue on with Precious Plastics? Well, I think if you would have told me back then that I would have worked like four years on plastic, I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, it, It is still interesting to me, though. But yeah, it started as a graduation project, just making some machines to recycle plastic. And then some people over the world built them as well because I shared the drawings, but it was like two people. But then I figured, well, that's not really enough. I mean, plastic problem is everywhere. So I made a new version like a year later with, with like better machines, better instruction manuals, better blueprints. And then you saw more people getting started, like a hundred, but still not enough. I mean, plastic is really everywhere. So I figured maybe we need to build another version. So we released that like half a year ago, version 3. And you see way more people getting started again. 
So I think I just keep on going every time because I, I sort of hope it's finished or tackled the problem, but it's not. So then you just do the next step. I would say that it is still interesting for me because the project on the one hand you build machines, but you also really uh, work on an online community building that place. You're making like videos. So it's very diverse and it has different elements. So that sort of keeps me excited about it. Yeah, for sure. That's really exciting to have seen so much growth between your second version and, well, first and second and third version. Yeah. The internet's obviously been a huge key to your ability to spread your work on such a global scale. Your phone blocks concept spread like wildfire, gaining massive attention internationally, and Google picked it up and put it down. But on top of that, it's been an incredible facilitator of this online community that you're building so that precious plastics can continue to grow and evolve even without your help. What advice would you have for others who want to use the internet as a similar kind of a tool or platform in the way that you have? Yeah, so I think that's one of the things I noticed when I studied design, that you often you make something and you publish it online and a lot of people get excited and then you have to tell them, well, it doesn't exist yet or it's just an idea. But on the one hand, you have harvested a lot of energy from people that want to do something about it. But if you don't really have a platform in place, you can't really do anything with it. It's more like you get a lot of emails, but that's it. And I really noticed this with Foamlocks as well. So for Fresh Plastic, we really wanted to enable people that want to do something to really give them the tools so they can do it. And that means you need to set up this infrastructure, like setting up online forums, for instance, so people talk to each other instead of you getting a lot of emails. Or an online marketplace where people can buy and sell stuff. So I think that's one of the main things we actually try to do is is trying to get people's energy and, and that they can actually use it and facilitate that process. And then online, like internet, is a super powerful tool to do that, to connect everyone together. Yeah, for sure. We've already spoken a little bit about precious plastics, but can you tell us a little more about what the Foamblocks concept was as well? So Foamblocks is basically an idea for a modular phone. Because nowadays, if you have a phone, um, after two years, it gets old or something breaks, so you throw it away, which causes a lot of waste. So I figured maybe it makes sense to sort of look into that uh, topic. So I created this modular phone. But while doing that, I also realized it's super complex to make a phone. Mm. I mean, how, how do you make a phone? I mean, it's a multi-million dollar business. Um, and I was just studying back then, so it's just one guy. So I, I put it online, hopefully that other companies would make it or that if people supported the idea that companies, uh, maybe there's a market and we should make a phone like this. And a lot of people got excited and Google was one of the companies to work on that with Project Ara, they called their phone. Um, but they quit Well, they stopped making a few hardware projects like Google Glasses was one of them as well. But you also saw other companies making more modular phones. So LG released a modular phone, Fairphone is modular. I think that was sort of the, the goal behind that project, to have an idea for an alternative kind of phone and trying to inspire the industry to make it. So it's nice to see people or like companies taking it on and making their version of the modular phone. Another really nice example, I guess, of how you've used the internet as that platform to spread the idea and to spread that excitement around the work too. Yeah. Well, so the only downside there for me was that you would still rely on companies to build it. Mm -hmm. And like Google, if they would say, we stop making it, then you're like, all right, damn it. 
can't <laughs> do anything about it. Whereas pressure plastic is really about just the people, like everyday people on society that can just build it. So it it can't really stop as well. I mean, if one person stops, that's okay. There are a lot of other people continuing, uh, which I think takes longer to set up, but it's much stronger as a foundation for a community. Yeah. You had a really interesting journey with foam blocks, uh, and you've also had a fascinating journey financing precious plastics. How have you made it all work, and what's been the biggest learning curve, I guess, for you, uh, both financially and from a partnership perspective? Yeah, so I haven't really figured out the business part of my projects because everything I do, I share open source online for free. And I also, I, I like it when stuff is accessible. So I like it if the guy in the middle of Africa can download the blueprints to build a, sh- a recycling machine for free because if you need to pay even one euro, he probably wouldn't do it. So uh, we rely always on people uh, funding it, like on the one hand through donations but I also have a Patreon, so people can really support monthly, which is quite a steady income. But for instance, from version 3 on Precious Plastic, we had a lot of things, like a plan we wanted to execute, and it was a lot of work. And we had limited budget, but also limited team. I mean, it's just a few people of us doing this, so we needed more. So we just put online the entire plan, what we wanted to do, and asked people to help out. And it was quite a shitty offer, because we asked them to come to the Netherlands, in my workspace, they had to pay their own ticket, find a place to sleep, and work. And we couldn't pay them anything because we didn't have anything. But even that, people did. We had people from Mexico, Iceland, Poland, Spain. They just came to help out. I like to explore that as well, that it's not necessarily about making money and hiring and buying people, but really, like, what if you build it with this community? So you give a lot, but people also give stuff back. Which also means the team was super motivated because they had to do a lot of effort to come here. Um, so I didn't really have to do anything. I just said, this is the plan and everyone would just full on work on it. And I really like that, that way of working. So it's kind of a weird way of doing business, I guess, but so far it's been nice. I'm sure that would attract a really excited and passionate team as well, which would be nice to work with. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Every morning they were earlier up than me and they would stay longer. I mean, it, it's just a matter of you need to guide everyone a little bit, that they go to the same direction and it all makes sense what they're doing. But the motivation is like insane. <laughs> so what have been some of the key challenges that you've come up against in the project until now? So I think overall growth is just a difficult one because on the one hand you work with global problems and the world is pretty big. And like I said, we are now like two people running precious plastic, which is not a lot. So we sort of need to streamline everything. But the more people that want to do something and download stuff and connect with each other, you, you need to make sure you can manage that. And I think that and that gets more every version. So the more people get excited and get started, the more they rely on communication tools, for instance, or a place to sell and buy their stuff. So that's always been challenging, I would say. Yeah. I think you launched version three at Dutch Design Week in October last year. Have you got any plans for version four yet or is it too soon? (laughs) Yeah, no. So we got all, uh, I like that process. So you put everything online and then you just wait, you see what the community does. And it always takes a few weeks before they, they, they get it all and you see people start building, but then you also get feedback. And we're now in that time. 
and we also drafted out like a lot of things or feedback we got and suggestions and tips for a new version. So um, yeah, we have been mapping out like what version four would look like. But so far, looking at it, it's gonna be a big one <laughs> because we have a lot of things, and like I said, it gets bigger every time, so it, it gets more complex every time as well. Which is fun, but it also requires much more people to make it, much more money, much more material. So yeah, we're now looking into what will be a solid thing for us that we can actually achieve, because that's always the challenge. You could have the brilliant idea, but if you don't have the resources to execute it, I guess nothing happens. So we always try to find that balance in what can we actually do, and what's the best thing we should do. So in version two, you guys went to Kenya, and for version three, you've set up Precious Plastics in Chile. Will they update to version four when it gets to that stage as well, or will they continue on with the versions that you guys were able to establish there? No, so so usually people can just download everything what we do open source online for free, and they can just build it. We don't really get involved. However, every now and then we do a few pilot projects around the world where we actually set it up ourselves. So we're on the ground, we experience what's it like to set it up in that environment, what kind of tools do they use, what kind of materials is available, just for us to really learn. Because if we want to provide blueprints for people, we want to make sure that everyone in the world can actually use them. And we haven't been everywhere, but we tried to sort of map out a few tactical places. So on the one hand, we went to Kenya and Africa. We went to Chile and South America. And uh, now we're going to do one more in um, Bangladesh, probably. And one more in the Maldives, which is on an island, super remote. So we tried to find places that have completely different environments and tools and materials and people just to learn a lot from that. So that's why we do these pilot projects very diverse group of places for you guys to set up all the pilots i'm sure they each come with a really different set of challenges (laughs) yeah well so that's what we hope so the moment we set up one in kenya we got another request from someone else in tanzania but then we're not really that interested because we kind of seen that environment we know the challenge is there yeah so we rather than do a completely different spot how do you think design education could change to help give students a stronger understanding of the social and environmental issues we face, as well as forming designers which don't just understand them, but design to counteract them? I think for me, what always really helped is really go out there, because you can learn a lot and you can read it in the books and the teachers can tell you these things, but the moment you set foot in a slum in India, you sort of, I don't know, you change your perspective. And you really experience stuff that you could see in a book, but is different if you really see it and you realize. And I think that's also when you really, as a designer at least, you really start seeing solutions super quickly what other people might not see it. So you can apply instantly sort of your a creative mind to the challenges you see. And I think that always helped a lot for me to really just go out and experience like the real world and not the internet world or the book world but just really see what just people do in daily life and how they behave and what could be improved. Do you have any other advice for students listening who might want to use their careers to make a positive social or environmental impact in the world? Yeah, don't don't get too scared about making money, earning a living, or get make sure you have retirement funds, because I think 
there are a lot of reasons to not do something, but I think the world is getting easier and more. They understand it more if you want to do something for the environment. It might be weird like 15 years ago, but it gets more and more that people understand that. So I think it's sort of need to stick with that and you just go for it. Because in the end, that gives you sort of a good energy and gets you out of bed every morning. And I think that's way more important than having, I don't know, a decent salary or buying a fancy car. So I would say always do the thing that, that motivates you or that gives you the energy in the morning. Yeah, awesome. Very wise advice. <laughs> well, thank you. Are there any inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently which you think are creating some exciting positive change? Yeah, I would say there, there are uh, quite a lot. I haven't really got one on top of my mind, to be honest. But I think it's this global consciousness that you see more and more people working towards this, which is hopeful. And it's not always about the biggest project or the, I don't know, the one you see most in the media, but sometimes it's just people on the street that you see doing something nice or picking up some trash, that they, that you just see people getting more aware, like everywhere around the world. So I think that that's a hopeful thing. Yeah, for sure. And to finish off, could you please recommend a few great reads for our audience? I rarely read a book. <laughs> rarely. I think the last book I read was The Story of Stuff, and that was like, <laughs> eight years ago, I would still highly recommend that book, although they also have a, a movie, <laughs> so I would recommend that even more. <laughs> um, no, but usually I get knowledge from, on the one hand, just being on the spot or watching documentaries. In that case, do you have any documentaries you'd recommend? <laughs> oh man, like a shitload. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot. Well, I actually made a list in our online community, in our forums, because I often get this question, I also always forget as well. But I map them out there, like this is the one I like, categorized like for food, for fashion, for waste, for, for all these topics that I'm interested in. So if you really want to see, they are all listed there. And I also ask people to share their documentaries, because sometimes I just don't find them, or I don't, I'm busy with other stuff. So I like it if people give me tips as well. Awesome. We'll have to put up a link for that one so everyone can find them. Yes, that's like a whole list of documents. <laughs> Sounds great. Dave, thank you so much for your time and for your inspiring insights as well. It was great chatting with you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.